Hello, hello, you're listening to our Goggler Tenet spoiler cast. Ian Bahir and Uma with you. We've given you about a week to catch up with the movie in cinemas. Well, God knows we've been talking about it for the whole week. So now we're going to, I guess, regale you with some of the thoughts we have on the movie. Also talk about some of the things we couldn't talk about in our review podcast. Um, You can still check that out if you want to avoid any kind of plot discussion we only spoke about our feelings about christopher nolan uh but this is the podcast where we'll hopefully talk about the movie address some of the questions that you've been sending us via whatsapp um and just really get into it so i thought before we get into the questions guys uh i was going to talk about some of the stuff that we couldn't get to uh with regards to the plotting of the film uh and one thing that i didn't mention in my review ian you didn't mention in your review uh, was this idea of good guys and bad guys, which I kind of like about this film, how depending even on the perspective in which you watch it, there aren't really good guys or bad guys. Because for the people in the future, we're the assholes that fucked up the world and they're trying to get rid of us because we're terrible. I mean, in the bigger picture, right? Yeah. Yeah, in the bigger picture. But Kenneth Brown is still an asshole. <laughs> oh, no. I think that's that's sort of across the board. Yeah. I mean, he's just an asshole just because of how he treats everyone, right? Yeah. A man whose uh, you know, ego is so, so big that he decides that, oh, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well take out all of creation with me. Correct. Correct. <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> okay, because the only time we can say the word spoilers on this. It's a very clever way in which Nolan kind of plays with perspective as well, because the message of the movie, uh, and we touched on this briefly, in our review is that it was a movie with a message and even though the message comes towards the end of the film it's this idea of creating and leaving a better world uh, to those who are about to inherit it right Uh, and John David Washington's protagonist has a great line um, at the end of the film when he's you know on the phone or on the walkie talkie with um, with Sador and he just goes you know every generation looks out for itself except you you're the traitor He's a traitor to his generation, yeah. Yeah, which is I thought was a really powerful line uh, and also kind of cemented this notion that the future generation was kind of fighting for their own survival as well because the rivers dried up and all of that stuff. Hmm. I mean, there is a, a very thin river of eco ecological like consciousness running through the movie, which is interesting. Listening to the Geeks of Malaysia podcast, one thing Kai kept saying was just like, from his perspective, he just saw it as good guys versus bad guys, and the time stuff and everything else doesn't matter. Um, I don't know if on if he's watched it again since then or, or revised his opinion, but he just saw it as the whole thing is just a reason for good good guys and bad guys to be a Bond movie, which is, I think I did mention that in our other reviews. Like this is a Bond movie where you don't, apart from like you know dodgy Russian oligarch, you don't need to have like, the politics of this shouldn't change yes. over time. You know this isn't this isn't uh, this isn't like weirdly ethnic doctor no as a as a villain or yeah uh, which is, it was only you only live twice which is the one where bond went undercover as a japanese man which was just a whole load of yikes oh my god i forgot about that <laughs> sean connery with um false eyelids not not a good look whereas in this it's like ah we're fighting against time unless time turns the time unless time is cancelled you know that it's a it's an enemy that you can that the story will last for longer. For me, I think there's two ways to watch this movie. Backwards and forwards. <laughs> no, but it's, there's this way of us sort of taking it apart, right? We're chewing every scene, keeping an eye out for you know current Neil and future Neil and past protagonists and three different kinds of of Sator. But because I was I was talking to my mother and she she saw it, she loved it, but she was like. I got no questions. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. you know? So to her, it's just, 
it's an adventure movie. It's a heist. You know, good guys and bad guys. And that's it, right? She doesn't need the, oh, there's there's a Neil in the background. Oh, how many satyrs are there in this car chase sequence? She doesn't need it. It was like, that was fun. That was great. I'm going to go have nasi lemak now. You know, yeah. and it's just like, it, yeah. And I think, and look, I don't, I don't think that's a bad way to approach this movie either, right? I think, yeah. I think we're we're just wired in such a way where we want to find meaning in in things that the director has stated. But I I don't think you need to know any of that to enjoy this film. Well, I mean, you should always enjoy art on your own terms, anyway. No, yeah, but absolutely. For yeah. me, this. I was trying to figure out when we'd fit this in, but it, I think it's essentially watching the Oslo scene when I realize the Oslo scene the second time around when Neil and JD are bringing Kat back to the plane crash and to use uh, Sator's in, uh, inverter turnstile. And as they're going in, I, I, you know, I think, oh, okay, so it's the people that Neil and JD fight late, earlier in the movie were Neil and JD. And it's the moment where I realized, when I realized, like, no, it's not Neil and JD. It's just... JD is fighting JD and JD. Yes. Like there's three of them in the proving room area the room, at the yeah. same time. And it's like all the time stuff kind of falls into place around that. And it's just like, uh, I think I, that was, I was trying to remember, I think I mentioned the other review about laughing in this movie mm. just because of like seeing things fall into place. And when that was yeah. one of them where it was just like, this is great. Yeah, this is like, I have no idea what's going on. I've, I, he's leading me down the garden path. I'm very happy doing that. And from that point onwards, I'm like, okay, that means I have to pay even more attention to what was going on than we were doing already. Yeah. And that, for me, was an extra level to the movie as opposed to just yeah. the action and stuff like that. But I think that speaks to Nolan's approach to making these kind of intellectually tinged mass appeal blockbusters, right? Even with Inception, you didn't have to figure out which layer of the dream everyone was in to enjoy the film because the action set pieces, the conversations... Um, the acting, all of the performances were so good that that would that in itself was enough to carry you along. Um, and in this case, given that he finally got to make his Bond movie, which he's so obsessed with, um, you could watch it as that, a great spy thriller with a lot of fantastic action and not really worry about the science of the inversion mm. and what's happening. Um, because later, if you sit down and think about it and talk about it with friends, fine that's great i mean you get yeah. some you get a, you, you get like a little bonus thrill from that but i don't think it takes away from the entertainment value of sitting in the cinema and taking in this film i mean it, yeah it is this bond movie because it even has like the assault on the the villain's lair at the end right it's like it, what was the which is the bond movie with the ninjas coming down the ropes is it is it diamonds are for no diamonds are forever is the the rig the you only live ah uh, there's one where you know like the, the 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 rockets there's a rocket that's eating other rockets in the 60s and there's a, it, they're being launched from a volcano base and at the end there's like ninjas not moonraker right because that was actually no no set it's, it's before that space, it's, yeah. it's yeah oh, it's man, like I don't know. you don't remember that it's just it's one of those it's one of those very bond things where it's a huge set and there's guys on ropes coming down and bombs going off and there's one guy who's mid frame to throw a grenade and go ah great he did his snow battle which he got from spy who loved me in inception right yeah he gets a snow battle he gets to have men in sharp suit just the fact that like you know everyone say to jd that he's not you know he's brooks brothers isn't going to do it the fact that he carries his tiny cup of cappuccino into the assault on sator's vault is just like that's a bond move you know what i mean do we know why he ordered a cappuccino uh, an espresso or rather an espresso 
Yeah, I think some people I saw on the internet were getting really upset that, J- that JD had said espresso instead of espresso. Yeah. But I think that's yes, an American yeah. thing. I know a lot of my American friends say espresso and not espresso. I, I, I actually, okay, I might be reading too much into it, but I'm wondering if he said it on purpose. Yeah, to kind of make him look more like a, less like a super spy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, just the fact that the way he's holding that with one hand, like he has yeah. his hand on the saucer and the yeah. cup and it's like, it's a nice piece of, you know, like what they call it. It's a nice piece of work when they say like little small things that actors are doing in the background. Because it is like a, of course, I'm not going to assault your place when I'm t- bringing a tiny cup. When I'm taking this tiny coffee with such care and I'm not like staring at the exit or playing with my briefcase with the lockpicks on it constantly. You know what I mean? It's like, of yeah. course, I'm just a normal dude. Although, although he does give it away with the breathing that he does, the breathing exercises that he does. that Yoga. That, yeah, that, that Neil had to cover for. Actually, speaking of tiny little things, uh, Bahe and I were talking about this on the car ride home after our first viewing. Um, the way he pulls up his pants, like Denzel. Yeah. And oh, I wonder really? if that was just a father-son thing or whether he was paying homage to his dad because Denzel does it all the time where he reaches yeah. back and pulls and his pants yank, up by his belt. His pants up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was the it, exact same thing as he's leaving. Twice. Yeah. Yeah, as he's leaving the room in the boat, in Sador's boat. You see him from behind and he does that move. And I was just like, oh, shit. <laughs> Denzel. Yeah, it was a great little thing. I'm I'm hoping it was. Uh, I don't know if I'd rather it be like a, a little like a homage Washington to his family dad thing. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I prefer it to be if it was an homage to his dad. Yeah. So while I was getting a headache trying to figure out where everything took place, you were just looking at his ass. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, I won't lie. It's going to be very difficult for me to watch Daniel Craig as Bond after this because I think John David Washington is so fucking cool. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 it was an interesting choice to have him be. I mean, they have this thing about him, you know, his jaw's been broken, but it's an interesting choice to have him bearded for the whole movie. There are so many beards <laughs> in this film. Like, no, is it a thing like, now? Is it like, is it like 2020? Cat's a beard for the for the time, bros. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like Sador's got a little one going, and then uh, Mahir's got like a big one going. Yeah. Beards and, are back, baby. Yeah, clearly, clearly, and it's not just to distinguish the bad guys from the good guys anymore. Yeah, but it's, it's a, it is an interesting choice just to have your leading man have his lower half of his face covered with a, not a great big bushy beard, but it's quite, it's well, it's a well Sizable. in there beard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, it, it is a very good look. It was also very weird for me to to watch uh, Tenet a couple of times and then come home and then watch um, Yesterday with Hamish Patel in it as well. <laughs> man, that's such a gear change. <laughs> Man, he's under deep cover. He's working for Tenet in this yeah, alternate universe. That's true, Because yeah. that, that was so weird. Yeah, somebody inverted and killed the Beatles. Well, killed the other three. This is the, this is the Tenet cinematic universe. <laughs> it started with Richard Curtis. Um, yeah. Wait, so the other... Actually, the other thing which I like about this film, and I think I mentioned it in my review about how little exposition he employs because i felt like even with inception and interstellar he felt that there were so many difficult concepts to explain that he had the characters you know explain it so when ellen page shows up in inception so much of the dialogue is people trying to tell her what's going on right Mm. and here but that's her point she's the she's the she's the surrogate right Uh, surrogate yeah and here i felt it was very smart the way he kind of layered motivations character motivations. so it's not out of the ordinary that John David Washington's character is going to put his life on the line to save Cat. Because right at the beginning, 
you know, when they say, hey, we've got these explosives in this opera house. And they're like, oh, it's not our mission. And he's like, no, well, it's mine now. And so Mm. you know that he actually gives a shit about people. Mm. And he doesn't have to be in love with Kat to want to save her life. It is something I missed in my review that he does. They do have a chase to kiss on the boat near the end. But it is that perfect example of character through action. Like all the action is to reveal something about the character. And there have been a lot of people, a lot of reviews complaining that there is like no character behind him. But there is like little quips and you know he he is a cia man already at the beginning yeah, so there's like there's a certain element of you know spycraft and hiding behind multiple layers and everything else that goes along with that that you have to kind of take on board but that's the he's shown there that he, he has care for other people he's shown that he'll do whatever it takes in order to you know make sure people survive but also i think we've seen enough spy movies to know what kind of individuals these people are i mean these people who become spies in service of national interests have bought into it already i mean bond that's why it was so awkward in skyfall when bond decides to go rogue because Mm. he serves the queen he's bought into it hook line and sinker he's been brainwashed right and Mm. you know that is his purpose and i think it's the same here, especially on the boat in the beginning of the film, when uh, John David Washington is told, well, you know, this is all of our lives are at stake. Right. And I think that was yeah. all that was the trigger. That was all that was needed for him to go. OK, fuck yeah. What do I need to do? I mean, that's just who he is. He has the capabilities to do it. He is the in his line of work. He has the skills. Yeah. I like the idea that he isn't the only one who could do this. He's not James Bond, who you have to send in for the heart mission at the moon. But he's just the guy that passed the test in the beginning no but he he is the guy he says it at the end of priya i am the guy who she says you're not the only one who can do this like but i am i'm the protagonist (laughs) to me that's like saying if it was anybody else that person would have gone on to build tenant and start again right maybe but they they would need to have that that level of commitment to you know yeah yeah, he he has the skills and the idea is that like it would be remiss he would be I guess it, it ties into the generational thing and the the, the 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 future thing as well. It's like he has these set of skills. He has the opportunity. It would be remiss of him not to take advantage to of take it to it. help yep. save everyone yep. else. Mm. Um, and I guess that's also probably another message for the movie is that we have the option to act now and we probably should. And and that's that's Neil's big line at the end of the film, right? What's happened's yeah. happened. It is a statement of faith on the mechanics of the world, not an excuse to do nothing. Yes. So yeah. even though you may have this notion that everything is predetermined, it doesn't mean you can sit on your ass and just watch TV all day. <laughs> 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 uh, which I, which I thought was a which I thought was a very optimistic message as well uh, from a Nolan film because if you look at his previous movies, they're not necessarily the most optimistic films. I mean, if you look at what happened to. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio or what happened to Matthew McConaughey I mean they have some pretty shitty journeys right Uh, Mm. meanwhile this movie kind of ends on a note that you know what the good guys win and that's a great thing (laughs) yeah I mean I suppose you you, you really got to feel for Matthew McConaughey you know uh, marooned on a planet with Anne Hathaway for all of the time it's really bad I I feel really bad for him the other thing the other thing I guess that um, kind of stood out about this particular film. Uh, we spoke about we spoke about it a little bit during uh, our review, but the music by Ludwig Garnson. I think we've all been waiting for the soundtrack to drop, uh, but I thought that the music was essentially the third, fourth character in this movie. 
um, it made such an impact, and it was obvious music. It wasn't. It wasn't the kind of music that followed that old soundtrack rule of oh well, if you notice it, then it's not very good. No, no, no. This yeah. was made to be noticed, and it played an important part in telling this goddamn story. Because as you pay attention, your second and third viewing, you notice all these cue changes. Yep. Whenever mm. it's like the in Back to the Future when something happens, right? <laughs> I'm I'm also convinced that during certain scenes, depending on which whether the protagonist is inverted or what's the normal flow of time when he's normal or inverted, I guess. I guess. I'm pretty sure that the music is the same music, just like literally played backwards or something. So that when composing the piece, they used some samples that were backwards and some were forwards. Right. So that when you actually listen to it, either direction, it still makes sense. That would be crazy cool. It would be crazy, but it was very hard to figure out to pick that out in the movie, but you could hear there were pieces where like the action, when JD's fighting himself multiple times, um, the music is, you can hear there's like little bits that are going rip as opposed to yeah. you know, yeah. the normal way that music sounds to your ears. You can hear that noise really clearly. I think it's clear also in the in the fight scene at the end, or the big attack scene at the end, when when uh, when red team is on screen, the audio is pretty straightforward. But then when blue team's on screen, there's a, there is that inverted yeah. audio sound, I think, yeah. Because I think as it gets closer to the end, it becomes more like standard orchestra stuff, right? As opposed yeah. to weirdly electronic. Electronica, is, yeah. Do, yeah, doing our retrospective again, like the opening to following, I just was like nearly tearing my headphones off because it's just a really annoying sound. And it is something that when you see, again, like when you see all these movies so close together and like, my God, is he obsessed with time? Yes. <laughs> how much money he's spending on like movies about time like does he wake up in the middle of the night just is his room just you know surrounded by clocks it's just like clocks on every surface in his house i don't understand the the sound thing carries through there the, i i'm convinced as well because i don't know if this was supposed to be like a it's his ninth film right 11th his, 11th yeah sorry so it's not his 10th which would have been a nice thing well was like, if it was, i was gonna say sorry sorry to jump in quickly because he didn't because the prestige is based on a book. Yeah. Eh? It's his 10th no? original. Anybody? Film? No. Insomnia was an adaptation. Oh, dang. It was. <laughs> oh, well. I'm, yeah. But, I would, look, but there was I'm no, but there was no other version of the, uh, the prestige. So maybe it's the other way around. Maybe he did his, his own, you know, he didn't, he doesn't count the insomnia, but the, I'm convinced as well with the soundtrack. There are moments where as someone who regularly listens to the dark fragments of the dark Knight soundtrack, I reckon, and a bit of Interstellar, there, I reckon there's parts of previous scores in there. It sounds like... Cause that's when we said after the first movie, I thought it was just Zimmer again fucking around because there's moments of it... it, it I don't know whether it's just his taste in music right. mm. goes that way with no matter who he's working with. And it, there is an element to that when you listen back to Inception and The Dark Knight. But really feels like there's bits in there. Also, really cunning play at the beginning when you think it's in reverse but actually it's an orchestra practicing which is kind of cool as well right we couldn't say in the review but it's like everyone's tuning up and you expect like they tune up and it's like the audience is settling down in the cinema and then like as and the, the, the conductor's ready to go gunshot right at that point does he yeah. even, does he tap the does he get to tap the baton on the yes he does he goes yeah which is yeah. fucking cool but also this the part in that scene that really gets me is that terrorist guy who like smashes the cello i'm like why are you such yeah. a fucking asshole that guy hates cellos He's like <laughs> yeah, my god like, what did that musician ever do to you yeah but also screw, that cello screw you mrs like, smith my eighth grade cello teacher probably like 400 <laughs> years old or something yeah, I was like, wow, oh, terrorists. Oh, man, that sucks. 
<laughs> Why do you hate music, terrorist? Shall we actually get into the <laughs> into Tenet? Because we have we've been speaking around it for quite a bit. I think we've got a bunch of questions. Some right? of us have already reviewed it three times at this point, that's right? True. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But only this. But this is the first time we've actually gone to you know got a chance to actually talk about the plot and stuff. So I mean, yeah. If we take it from chronologically from that point onwards, what the what the what the hell is going on in Kiev? He's there to rescue someone, but that yes. someone is making. Contact with the buyer who's selling the plutonium 241, but Sator's men are also there? Correct. Well, he's not even there to rescue him, right? He's just there for the plutonium 241 because he says, you yep. can, I can either save you or I can kill you. You've got two options. But you've been made. But you've been made. Correct. I guess the guy in the booth was like taking part in a deal to buy someone he thought was illicit plutonium because they mentioned later on as well that the CIA is more in the... In the selling, um, not in the buying... No, no, in the buying, the way around, in the selling. buying not selling, because uh, they want to buy it and sorry, keep yeah. it safe as opposed to having yeah. rogue plutonium out there. So, I mean, I thought that was like, that was their job was to get that. And he was part of that team. But it was like, at the, watching it the first time, I was like, how did he, how did he know it's downstairs? I presume that was part of the handoff. He'd give them the money. They give him the, the coat rack number, right? Yeah. I think that was the, that was the deal. And then they go down and get it. But then his team doesn't get caught. Uh, it doesn't get, doesn't get away. So does that mean the Ukrainian, that's when the Ukrainians have it. Because Sator doesn't have it, right? Correct. So the guy in the truck who's torturing him, um, they get their hands on it. Because they capture the rest of his team and kill them. Is, is that not Sator's men? Or is that just... You, cause they, no, because that, that I felt was the Ukrainian that, secret that truck, police or whatever. Because, oh, really? Cause, hmm. Because for them, the, the, when they're transporting it later, I presume that's just like you know Ukrainian normal police. So they wouldn't be torturing the shit out of people, I wouldn't think. Also, like, know. why would they torture him if they'd already gotten it? Yeah. For shits and giggles? I think they were trying to get more information, right? Because they didn't say what they were trying to make him talk about, but they were just like, we want information from you. Mm. Uh, but I didn't think I didn't think that was Sador's man, uh, Sador's man at all, because it feels like Sador's men don't talk. Like throughout the film, they just kind of carry out these missions and kill people. Like they get yeah. the gold, mm. smash people on the head. I mean, they're just like, because they've got information from the future, it feels like they know exactly what they're doing all the time. Yeah. I mean... There is, I don't know if this is the case, but there is a, you know, it could be said that the pill that he said he got from the CIA could be the pill that was in um, the protagonist's collar because he took the pill off the other guy. The poison pill off the guy in front of him. So that oh, no, but he be... threw it away. Oh, did he throw it away? I, did, I can't yeah, remember in that. Yeah, in the interrogation. So he puts yeah, it in his mouth and he spit it out. It out. Yeah. I don't know if it was actually the other guy's pill. I unless, think, yeah, unless, I think unless when he, he fell on the ground, it was like he after, picked it up. After, yeah, after J, oh, he picked it up after JD died. Well, he picked it up out of the guy's hand after JD died. The other guy's like, I mean, that was really cool and dramatic. But we, our boss asked specifically for one of those pills. Do you want to go pick that up from wherever you spotted? We should, like, Shit, we should probably grab that one up. Yeah, where did I put that? Damn it! <laughs> cool moment though, bro. You look real cool doing that <laughs> <laughs> to that one dead guy now. Yeah. From that point on, the movie is pretty straightforward. It's a straightforward first thirty minutes of a Bond film in the sense that. You know, he's kind of going around meeting people, gathering information. Um, it's essentially what happens at the beginning of every Bond film where the Pierce Brosnan, Sean Connery, whatever, they're like meeting their contacts in different parts of the world to try and figure out what's going on. And of course, his first stop is in Mumbai where he's trying to find the guy who sold inverted arms, right? Uh, Sanjay Singh. He's tr yeah, he, and uh, so he needs to enlist the help of uh, Felix Leitner. Pretty much. <laughs> exactly. Only uh, this is a British Felix Leitner. It's not the other way around. Um, and actually, even from the get-go, I think 
you see Neil's interactions with him and on your second watch when you know that kind of Neil's known him all his life essentially those interactions make so much more sense there's a, there's a familiarity on Neil's part even though it's not being reciprocated when he's like oh we'll have a diet coke and that whole interaction at first when I watched it, it was like oh well this is awfully familiar or maybe they're just being two spies kind of bantering mm. right and it makes so much more sense towards the end I was like yeah I'll have a club soda you know you prefer a coke it's like hmm uh, but it makes it when you're watching it the first time and from JD's perspective the first time around it just looks like he's done his research and he's a well-connected dude right like he's a fucking good spy yeah as opposed to the first time you met me I was drinking gin somewhere else years ago and you were drinking Diet Coke it's it's so smart yeah it's very smart time bros forever I'm just calling them the time bros from now on because they are like it is the biggest romance in the film yes it is um and it is relatively straightforward up till the point we get to the Freeport because that is when we first see, I guess, a turnstile, uh, the blue and red colors, and an inversion yep. actually happen in front of us, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I haven't gotten many questions about that scene on our hotline, uh, which is 017-218-1795. I haven't gotten too many questions about that because I think everyone kind of understood that scene. Or at least yeah. what was happening in those moments, even if you didn't know who the people were inverted and in normal time. Because that's something you find out later. This is the thing I keep bringing up about Chris McQuarrie and talking about how Henry Cavill, you know, some... I was, I was trying to find it in text somewhere, but it wasn't an Empire podcast. We're talking about how, you know, someone in the audience said like, oh, it's so obvious that Henry Cavill was a bad guy in Mission Impossible. It's like, oh, that's because I left the clues there for you, you moron. And mm. this scene is like the, the key for Tenet. This is like... I'm laying out how things work here. And don't worry if you didn't get it the first time. We'll come back to it later. <laughs> so, you know, this is... He lay, he lays it out so clearly that you see, like, you know, it hasn't happened yet. The bullets... The gun, the the top of the gun, like, being thrown off is a classic JD move. He does it a couple of times in this film, right? Yeah. Mm. He removes the... He disconnects the whole chamber off the handgun when he's fighting people. Yep. Did you notice that? And, like, so that it's... When that happens for the person who comes out of the turnstile, it's him doing it to himself. Yeah. Yeah. So they have set out, you can, that's where they establish their rules. Because I didn't even catch the fact that what was going on in the opera house with the inverted bullet that we find out is originally fired, unfired by Neil, who's yep. saving the protagonist's life at that point because he has to save the protagonist's point at that, at that point in, mm, in yeah. time. Um, so this is the first time you really get to see that happening. And I think. This you can just every time you watch, I'm sure Uma, you've seen it more times than the rest of us. There's something new in that fight all the time. There's a certain point, I think, uh, later when he returns to that fight scene later. There's a certain point where he remembers what the fight moves are and he blocks himself. Yes, but when you see that the first time around, it's it like, looks Man, really this weird. Guy's good. Right? Yeah, it looks yeah. like this guy's awesome. I know yeah. it's fantastic. Um, and also, I think a lot of the paradoxical questions are answered at that moment as well in the second mm. fight because you notice that the closer someone gets towards a point then the damage starts to show so the hole in his hand because he got stabbed in the hand be yeah. first starts as a dull ache and then it begins mm. to develop into a hole and start bleeding um, and yeah. you see that earlier on in the car chase with the broken wing mirror on the bmw yeah the the wound he has on heels exactly yeah. Yes. And um, I think all of those little hints are there for you to pick up. Even the way Neil glances across to the shutters that are looking slightly open in the first time he's at the Freeport, because yeah. to him there's he an knows. awkwardness of wait, what's going on, right? Yeah. Because yeah. 
it's a thing they return to a lot in this and that ignorance is our ally is it or ignorance is our best weapon or something correct like the that? best weapon be- yeah it's because you know you don't there's, there's there's going to be an entire industry of podcasts probably that will you know generate enough heat to doom the planet to the future of the movie of people just analyzing what would you do or the, trying to figure out the paradoxes because if you don't know you're going to do something it's a lot easier to do it the way it's supposed to be done as mm. opposed to you know thinking about i i, I I'm think I keep thinking about the uh, the free will conversation in the Matrix, where it's like, don't worry, you'll you'll have a cookie and forget about all this, and you'll feel much better by the time it's finished. Like that's the best way to deal with it. So like, I wonder, does Neil know at that point? Like, has he been told all the details, or is he just like that? Looks inverted. That looks like it's going to have an interaction with an inverted object. I should keep an eye on that. Yeah, I, I don't think he knows mm. because you know. Yet again, he uh, when they're in the ambulance after that whole thing plays out, he's like suppression. You know, that's our mission. So. You know, even keeping information for himself, he realizes has value, right? Yeah. yeah. I just want to go back to that fight scene between the protagonists in Oslo. And this is something you asked me, Uma. Why did he fire the gun? If by that point, the protagonist in the full riot gear had figured, I mean, obviously he's figured out he's fighting himself, but why fire the gun at the end of the fight? He was forced into it like they were struggling. He was fighting for his life. And I guess he realizes halfway through that fight what's happening. He doesn't quite think four-dimensionally at that point. Because he, as the movie goes on, he realizes things further and further, uh, mm. more and more. But it's just the fact that he's struggling. Like The first protagonist, one, let's call him, who's going through it for the first time, who's in the suit. He's not holding back. No, yeah. he is. Yeah, full on. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, going if, if you... And if you ask me to recreate the, you know, to recreate the moment of making my breakfast this morning per- perfectly and then interrupting myself along the way perfectly, I wouldn't be able, I mean, I can barely yeah. remember like dance moves for God's sake, you know, it's like having to figure out, wait, did I punch with my left hand and my right hand at this point and did my other self block? I mean, this is where the, the ignorance thing comes in. So he has to go on instinct, I guess, mm. which ties back to what they said earlier, which is another, another thing that the audience is like, just go with instinct and follow the movie. So he has a gone because he's always had a gun. Yes. And he fired it because they were fighting. Yes. Mm. We don't believe that he was necessarily trying to kill himself, but he was still no. doing it in self-defense. Did he have... Sorry, did... So he fought himself outside, the gun goes into his hand... Uh, fuck. <laughs> this is what happens every time I think about this movie. I know, right? <laughs> I to reconcile multiple people in the same scene, because they get, the gun is... When he comes in through... He picks up the gun in oh fuck the problem is if you try to keep two time flows of this is my life when i am when i am replying to these whatsapp messages basically because i think the other side all they see is typing because i'm just like yeah. deleting typing deleting typing. <laughs> <laughs> i'm leaving you on read forever but i'm not doing nothing because <laughs> when, when he first comes into that room the gun flows into the uh, uh the protagonist two's hand right it's broken the gun is broken so that means that like it was knocked out of his hand. So he had the gun with him earlier when he was coming in because he was worried about Sator's inverted men being around the turnstile. And because he's a dumbass, he forgot about the fact that he was there. He knew the turnstile was there. He knew on some level that he was also there from the past. But also, at that point, he's not got his diploma from the Tenet University yeah. of Time Studies. His brain's not on it yet. But also, yeah. he yeah. wasn't expecting to be sucked in. Because when that yeah. happens, he looks shocked, right? Yeah, mm. because he got he got reverse blowjob from the air from the air engine. Correct, correct, exactly. Because <laughs> oh, the engine explodes backwards in, and sucks him in, in right? Yeah. It he get, yeah, but it's like the the effect of normal time is the sucking. Yes. Rewatching yeah. the trailer again, actually, there's something jumping ahead slightly. 
the scene where they're bringing Kat in on the stretcher what's awesome about that we're watching it again in the trailer is that like they've crashed the plane and everyone's moving in forward motion so there were two guys standing really close to all those explosions walking backwards to film yes. it which is just like and you see things going back into explode fire going back in as they're going forward and what so they're like, going back into the into the fire hose yeah. yeah so everyone's just like hosing down this plane on fire and there's these two guys going backwards through it it's like it, the it's mind-boggling alone to think of how like stunt coordinators on this they probably just burned through them there was like desiccated husks left yes. left <laughs> of stunt coordinators their brains just burned out trying to think of all this stuff once they've saved cat and she's come back uh, alive with that massive scar right at that point, they get inverted again, but we don't see where, right? When they're back on the boat. Uh, in Tron time. They go to Tron time to the mustering point. That was after they speak to Priya. And yes. she says, we've got our own little turnstile. Again, this is after they speak to Priya, who he hasn't spoken to yet in a normal yes. time. Yes, correct. Yeah, correct. Because he's like, I'm going to yeah. talk to you next week. You're going to tell me shit. He's like, I can't tell you shit. Time's, you know, you're going to break time. <laughs> and so then, but we don't see that turn happen, but then we just see them on the boat going backwards again. Going backwards. Yeah, yeah. When, he, when he's doing his chin-ups, his time chin-ups. I guess I was trying to work out the off-screen turnstile moments. Turnstilisms, yeah. Yeah, and I think there are three of them. I think that's one. I think Neil at the end uh, going back in. After the movie's finished. After yeah. the movie's I think finished. I the easiest way to say because at the end is like, what is the end of tennis? That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, and then I think there's one Sador turnstile move during the car chase that we don't see. The th I think the trick to figure out what's happening when people are inverted and non-inverted working at the same time is that when you see something happen that you have a question about is work your way back through the non-inverted person to see how that works. Like in the tunnel at the end, from Neil's perspective, he comes in, opens the, he comes in, opens the gate, stands behind it, and the gate is closed as he tussles with Volkov and dies. Yes. Mm. And then I was trying to figure out how do you get in the tunnel, but the problem was I kept getting my time streams confused. But from the protagonist's perspective, Neil runs backwards out of the cave after the gate is opened. Yep. If you think about inverting the protagonist from that point, he would go back out and you know before he hits the tripwire. So Neil comes in before they do in a way. Yes. Because he's going back through time, and it's like one of the most counterintuitive things to try and understand I've had, and I think. That then helped me understand the Sator thing more because he is doing a temporal pincer movement at the car site anyway, no matter what. So that even as JD is collecting the, the plutonium in the, in the awesome truck sandwich, Sator's come there just to be there. Like his plan is I'll go there inverted just to sort things out. He doesn't know at that point, you know what I mean? He's been inverted before the heist is over in yes. a way. So that he can arrive, it's he can arrive when the heist is in in play. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yep. correct. Because we ha this is the problem. We had the problem with the. This is not the interrogation Sator. He's not been interrogated yet. No. So he he goes off, gets reverted, waits until the thing is over, then gets inverted again, then goes back to try and find the plutonium or where he's hidden it. Absolutely. So like, that's that's the that's the third one, which was just baking my noodle when yeah because because yeah. the third time i was watching it i wanted to make sure sato wasn't in the room when they brought him in and he wasn't you see him walk through the walk door in. and then yeah. hit him with the gun yes he was outside normal time he was Correct. in the he's got a he's got a he's got a non-inverted chill out room essentially it's right. like yeah there's a green room i know that, yeah it's, it's it's a green room or it's a blue room or a red room depending oh, yeah. on which way you are um because he doesn't want to interfere with himself in the past which sounds more creepy than i meant it but 
he doesn't want to interfere with the actions of himself in the past because yeah. he has to do those in order to know that he's going to do stuff. Ah. Yeah. I, I think the car chase was, you know, I mean, trying to explain it is one thing, but just looking at how that was shot and everything that was going on because you actually have essentially three time streams that are happening if you include mm. protagonist in the silver car about to be flipped as well. Mm. And it's such a incredible piece of filmmaking it's also just a really cool thing i haven't seen anything like that where it's like we're gonna have he's just like rattling off the top of his head we're just gonna have four trucks one of them must be a fire fire engine um and because of the ladder because you know he's not he's not gonna risk jumping around on the back of trucks he's gonna take a nice safe ladder on top nobody's got plutonium if you're gonna plan it you might as well plan it properly and not just like say oh i'm gonna jump open the door and jump out yeah yeah which he ends up doing later later anyway yeah but yeah but yeah, just that, that that whole scene and like uh, those poor guys, like the security guards are just sitting there like, you know, I guess we're on our lunch break now. We can't really do it. They don't get smushed to death, right? They're just caught in between. Everyone's stuck in between. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's kind of being pushed and squished and dragged along, uh, which is also smart because then, you know, that the security officers are like, oh, well, they're still moving. Yeah. They haven't yes. come to a stop. It's just something wrong with the radios, right? Yeah. Um, someone was asking me about uh, on the hotline, they were asking me about, oh, does this does this just keep happening over and over again? Is it an infinite loop? And I was like, no, think of it as a self-contained loop where everything is happening at the same time, but we are looking at it from one POV. So we are looking at it from the protagonist's POV. But all of this is happening kind of simultaneously. And Mm. if you look at it that way, then it becomes clear, oh, okay, after Cat kills Seder on the boat, she goes back. She just has to wait 10 days and then she can pick up Max because the other cat has gone back. You know, so... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of ties everything up into a neat little bow, if you will. Mm. Yeah, in, in a time travel movie, movie, they would generally get back in the DeLorean or the time machine and then just jump back to after yeah. the event so they wouldn't interfere exactly. with themselves. It's just, again, they have to go chill out in the green room or in a shipping container for a bit so they get to that point, which is like... Yeah. It's, the slow, it's, the, it's the slow way around. It's kind of like that uh, Doctor Who episode, Blink, where he says like... I'm sorry, but I, you have to take the long way around. I'll talk to you in the future, but I can't, I can't bring you back to the modern day. You gotta wait. in the '60s, but I'll meet you in the '60s again or in the '90s again or whatever. Yeah, it is. It it does it does subscribe to the. It's a single flow of time. Yes, exactly. So there are no multiverses. Grandfather paradox doesn't apply because everything that's happened happened. So it's also a very deterministic view of time. Yeah, mm. if you will, um, which is something you also talk about in the piece about you know what about free will. Um, and I think Neil has an interesting take on that where he goes, well, if you hadn't done it, it wouldn't have happened, right? So essentially, yeah. free will does play a part yeah. because you don't know what the end point of this deterministic view of time is. Maybe it's also part of the uh, vetting pro- prog- process for Sator's teams and Tenet's teams. Is that like, would you shoot yourself in the head? And if you say yes, then you don't get invited to go through a turnstile. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you could, because then you would, you know, I think, is it the... Is it Back to the Future where if you create a paradox, the, the fabric... We don't know what will happen. Either the fabric of the universe will unroll like a carpet or you'll pass out. One or the other. Mm. Yeah. At the beginning of the film, I thought that line of questioning was a bit awkward and just makes sense later when Neil just goes, would you kidnap a child? You know, would you kill mm. a woman? Although when I heard that, I kept thinking like, you wouldn't steal a car. Would you copy a DVD? You know, remember yeah. that, the, those ads? Yeah. <laughs> would you pirate a movie? The car chase is probably the most complicated bit um i think second to that is probably the end sequence which is the big showdown in stalsk 12 oh sorry on the, the car chase though 
another genius thing that Nolan does to kind of lead you through the path and keep you locked to the protagonist's perspective is that when he throws the suitcase to Sator, you don't see from his perspective that he sees himself in the other car the first yep. time around. Yes. Like, and that is, that could have been like, if you, you could have put that in, I mean, there might be a cut where there is like a 30 second or a five second glimpse of that. And you see him, because that was a really good throw. I mean, he he must work out. He's able to throw a big heavy plastic box and a big lump of what he thinks is plutonium at the same time <laughs> with one hand. Is it one-handed? Well, you know, the if the protagonist is John David Washington, you know, he played sports when he was younger. He was uh, trying so. out for the NFL. Just FYI. They don't give the audience that hint at that point. This is just a silver car that's there weirdly. And you're like, wow, it's going backwards. Cool. Yeah. And it's only when you see it the second time around and he looks himself yes. in the eye. So the first time as well, oh. you see a brief glance with the eye. Just like how the second time around, from the inverted protagonist's point of view, you see a brief glance from Sador, noticing that he's in the car. I mean, it's all in the eye acting, man. It's really good. Mm. So, so, so Kenneth, right? When we're in this high speed chase where your car is going backwards, I just want you to look the camera right in the eye, right? Just, just, just do that. It's like, or you know, as you're as you're in a high speed chase trying to throw this box out of the the car. How do they do the box? Do they just do it on a string? Do you think? Because like, we didn't we don't think about the, the special effects of this movie, but like they threw a box from a car, bounced it off the, the seat of another car, and into another car, like. How did they do that? <laughs> I'm assuming some kind of wires, right? Because it feels yeah. like a it feels like a simple enough thing to do physically, as opposed to having yeah, like, a CGI. Like it literally only just occurred to me that, like, hang on, some of those cars were going backwards. Are they? They did. I think I mentioned this. Yeah, I think I mentioned that before in one of the reviews we did about how like there had been footage leaked of like the cars slowly going backwards. Mm. So I don't know whether they use some digital motion smoothing or something like that to speed it up without giving it that sped up effect no because it looked really good i mean you can tell when something's been sped up on screen right the the car chase from bullet is always the classic that sticks in my mind where or i think it's a car chase in the french connection where cars are going around corners at speeds that you're like nope your eye just like that's not how that works at all we were we were wondering if they only used all-wheel drive cars or whether they actually shifted the chassis yeah. around because if it was a two-wheel drive car there's no way you could be doing that kind of shit it's, the, it the has, weaving through drive. traffic it has it's to be an all-wheel drive car it's right a, because the audi the, that audi is a four-wheel drive I believe. the suv so, right yeah the suv audi yeah because i don't think uh the bmw that bmw i think is also four-wheel drive because yeah but but you know like after baby driver you know like and, and the fast and the furious movies you know stunt drivers are just magic right that's just <laughs> that's just how things are they're just little they're just car wizards yeah the car car wizards that's the that's just the next spin off from fast and the furious <laughs> so apparently um nolan cast john david washington after watching him in ballers so he loved him in ballers oh um and then he had him in mind and then at khan Spike Lee invited him to the premiere of Black Klansman. Right. And he said that kind of sealed the deal because he says he doesn't write movies with actors in mind. And this was the first time he kind of wrote the protagonist with John David Washington um, in mind. And that's what he was saying in an interview. The most surprising thing about that statement is the fact that Chris Nolan watched Bollas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who to knew me, he was an American sur- football fan? He, you know, just, that was the biggest surprise. Though. No, I think he said he enjoyed the physicality that he brought to the character as well. Mm, yeah, uh, he was actually citing some of his favorite um, car chase scenes 
uh, and where he kind of drew inspiration from because he's saying he was saying in this interview that he didn't necessarily he wanted to create something that people hadn't seen before because we've seen so many car chase scenes um, and he said you know he said French uh, French connection obviously but also to live and die in LA uh, was the the it was Michael Mann no by the director of The Exorcist uh, William Friedkin ah yes yes so to live and die in LA and he cites that as kind of having one of these great inspirational car chase moments and he wanted to kind of create something uh, in a civil in a similar vein for audiences so they would feel thrilled and also feel like they were watching something unique and and yeah I mean we, we speak a lot about the time inversion and the intellectual tricks that he employs but the car chase is a thing of beauty and I think for that alone you will you can appreciate that by itself without working out which Sador is which and which protagonist is which and this is one thing I mentioned in, my, in our other review as well which was that that is why that's what I want from the cinema I regularly would rant about I'm sick of movies doing something you've seen before it's like what's the point if you're going to do that you know there's no reason to it. it's like oh we're just gonna we're just doing an off-brand x-men with something else instead and it's like get stuffed there are about 20 of those on netflix right now yeah um as opposed to stand on the shoulders of giants you know take that ford charger drive it off a cliff with a rope around it and have it swing around the place never seen that before never seen a submarine chasing cars fast and the furious 2021 um do those kind of you have to keep amping it up otherwise i mean there's a level of like that's a sad thing that we should be able to you can st- you don't have to amp it up as in just bigger is better it has to be smarter no no no. but also this is an action movie right i mean yeah. if you were making a rom-com whatever right but no if you're making a rom-com yes if you're making a rom-com whatever you can't have a side character who sounds like they're straight from the 80s you have to do something with oh no, no, that no of trope. course i meant yeah. with regards to a car chase scene <laughs> Yeah. Although, <laughs> but if you talk, hang on, hang, hang, hang on one second. Script idea, rom-com, <laughs> car chase, third act. Yeah. Got it. But no, no, I meant, I meant, if you are working within the mechanics of an action movie, yes, the shootout, the car chase scene, all of these things are um, par for the course, right? And so every time you do something, I mean, that's why da- Baby Driver was so exciting, just because of what, of how he shot those car chase scenes. They were yeah. fun. They were exciting. They were cool to watch. And I think. With Nolan, he's never actually given us something um, bog standard in his no. films. He's always strived to create uh, some kind of visual spectacle that is different in some way. I mean, even the way he shot um, the Spitfire scenes in Dunkirk, you know, everything was on um, Hardy's face. Yep. And he's wearing a mask again. And he's wearing a mask. Take off the Nolan bingo card. And that's an incredibly bold decision to make, right? Because what people want to see is people want to see the dog fight mm. but you hear it yeah. and you feel it even though so much of it is centered around this guy's face it's really cool and it grounds it grounds all his films because you don't even with the, the bendy powers in inception you think of christopher nolan as a grounded realistic realism feel, filmmaker yeah you know even though these these are flights of fancy there's no laser guns i mean give him a laser gun that should be fun but it is that style. It's that kind of idea of if you're shooting, if he does, when he does a spaceship movie, again, I think I saw this in one of the videos I was talking about before. All the, a lot of the interstellar stuff, there's a, there's a few beauty shots, but there's an awful lot of shots that are just like cameras on the outside of the ship. Yeah. Yep. The GoPro that's, the GoPro that's on the outside. The ship, yeah. Yeah. And th- that really does just, it's a style, but it gives you a certain grounding in what's going on. And it gives it a realism. It gives mm. a realistic take on things. Correct. Yeah. Um, and that's that that works for those plain things as well. I think one part of why the movie works very well is also because of 
I guess the behind the scenes people he uses as well. I mean, this time he got a new film editor, uh, Jennifer Lame, and that's really interesting because she, this is the first time she's done an action film. All of her previous movies have been tremendous. I mean, Francis Ha, Paper Towns, Manchester by the Sea, Hereditary, Midsommar, and Marriage Story. And they're all very intimate films. Yeah. I wanted to punch the entire cast of Francis Ha in the face. I know, you hate that movie. <laughs> I don't know why. There was just, for some, up until Little Women, I could not get on board with Greta Gerwig for some reason. Everything she did just felt like ashes in my mouth. <laughs> and and it's not the go-to person you would, you would necessarily yeah. pick for an action film. Um, and I think there's a very unique perspective to that because when we left the cinema, I remember, Bahe, you were talking about how for an action movie, this one had some strangely intimate close-up shots. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, that's, it's, again, it goes back to what you guys were talking about earlier, about how you don't do the more obvious thing when you're doing an action film, right? You, or rather, at least Nolan doesn't, you know, you don't have the big wide shots as much because that's, that's a Michael Bay shot, right? That's, uh, you don't, you want to focus on the characters as opposed to the car going, you know, 100 miles an hour down the wrong side of the road. Um, and, and yeah, the editing probably does that a lot. And what he did as well in this one for that Kache sequence, he got his cinematographer to actually have the IMAX camera inside the car. I think he shot the whole thing with, with IMAX, right? That's something you brought up, right, Bahir? That like shoulder-mounted IMAX Shoulder-mounted fucking IMAX cameras. I mean... Uh, that's, that's what I said. The, cinemat- the cinematographer's name is Hoyt van Hoydema, and that's Hoyt the noise he makes he picks them up. Hoyt! Yeah. <laughs> It's a, it's a, I mean, look, and, and I saw some of the behind the scenes, uh, footage that's been on, that's on YouTube and those IMAX cameras have come down in size since he shot, uh, he shot his Batman films. And since, um, since, uh, Peter Jackson shot, uh, his Hobbit movies, you know, yeah, that they've come down in size and they're not as loud anymore and they're not as loud mm. anymore. Right. So. The idea that a DP can carry an IMAX camera on his shoulders is just mental. And the fact that I think he shot the whole thing in IMAX. Uh, and, and Ian, you were talking about how the, si- the physical size of the, of the film negative sort of has changed the way Nolan looks at setting up a shot, right? Because yeah. literally is so much more space now. <laughs> And I think when you're watching close-ups that he would like normally rely on, I think it, it, it was a Patrick H. Willems video talking about like an awful lot of scenes were mostly just double headers in rooms. And if you blow that up on a screen five story, five, six stories tall, it's not great. It's like this, the, the, the first time I saw uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and the only seats available were the front row and you could see every zit and hair on Robin Williams' face. And that wasn't a fun experience. But it's not even just that. It's also the fact that, you know, it's... It's like when you blow up an image, this shot, the 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 image itself becomes almost too big. It encroaches yeah. on your, you know. It, it's it, it's the framing. It leads to different. Yep. T- you f- need to frame your shots yeah. differently. Yeah. The yes. Classic being the Joker holding his mask on the side of the road. You can see the city. You can see everything. Yes. As they, I think, or does it only does it only kick to IMAX as they go through the in the Dark Knight? Does it only kick to IMAX when they go through on the rope? Uh, no, when he's side. standing on the street when holding the mask the... in his hand, I think that's an IMAX. Yeah. IMAX. So that's an IMAX. But as they go over that rope and they can see them, yes. their frame small against the, the majest- majesty of the city. As the camera itself or the the the, loca- the, the chopper they're filming yep. on is rotating, it's rotating. Is re- relative to the yep. the rope and everything. It's like ah, cinema. Yeah. Correct. Which yeah. which 
which is a magnificent segue to the third act showdown because that is an incredible spectacle in itself, right? I mean, uh, I, I, I guess just to kick things off, someone asked why was there a blue team and why was there a red team? And that is essentially the whole film. The entire movie is what they call a temporal pincer movement. Um, and we discover that right at the end of the film. Does someone, sorry, does someone want to explain what a pincer yeah, movement is? Yeah, I was first? just going to. So the pincer movement is is the strategy that everyone kind of uses throughout the film. Sator uses it. Um, Ives talks about it before the final uh, showdown. Essentially, one team goes through an event in normal time. The other team goes through the event in inverse time. And the team that's going through in normal time gets information from the other team so that they can do all kinds of cool shit and know exactly what's going to happen next, uh, which goes yeah. back to the idea of um, ignorance being the greatest weapon because if nothing is in the system and nothing is on record, then there's no way they can find out. And that secret is actually safe because it's in the mind of one person, right? It's just like that uh, scene from Bill and Ted Face the Music where they put buckets on their heads. Correct. <laughs> did they put a red... Hang on, wait. Did they put a red bucket and a green bucket on their head? I can't remember I what color the buckets were, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's happening next. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. The links... The tennis, <laughs> tennis, tennis links it's go mind-blowing. <laughs> um, and so it brings us to the final scene where essentially one team is going forward time. Ives and the protagonists are going through a normal time uh, Neil is on the team that's going inverted and they have to get the styles 12 and prevent the algorithm which is manifest in reality as a nine-part device from being buried in a hole that can be dug up in the future so future people can trigger it, reverse time and end all of us. It's not even a device, right? Didn't they say it describes a formula? So basically oh, sorry, it's, it's a formula that's been <laughs> made into a physical manifestation so no yeah. one can copy it or re reproduce it. It's an Armageddon sculpture. Yeah, yes. it's, it's an art installation. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get the, the most of that time thing the first time around because it's like, okay, they're inverted. Yeah, sure, whatever. Because you're watching it with, you know, it's your first time around too. You haven't been inverted to go back and watch the movie again. And yeah, those things about blue team are going to land 10 minutes after the bomb goes off and come forward. We're going to land 10 minutes before the bomb goes off and just like distract them and like try not to defuse the nuke. And they're going to give us the details that for, provide the details for this briefing we're giving you. Yes, yes. <laughs> and that 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 sentence was like, uh, that's what it's like. That's, <laughs> that's good. That's that's good shit, man. That's real good shit. So hang on, hang on. Okay. So so this is. I think a couple of people have asked this. Red team is going from from zero to ten, and no, well, from ten to zero with zero being the, the countdown makes it harder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're not counting on, up. Okay. They're counting down. So, Okay, red so, team's watches are counting down to the moment that the bomb goes off in normal time. Okay, the blue team is is the blue team starting point the bomb going off or is their end point the bomb going off? Yeah, their their starting point is 10 minutes after the bomb goes off. After see, okay, so now right. So No, no, no. Know. Their starting point is as the bomb goes off. The bomb goes because off. Because when the helicopter is landing, we see the bomb go in reverse and Neil and the car going Oh, backwards yeah. right yeah. yeah and also red team's job is to get there to clear the landing ground for blue team to arrive correct yes 
So as the as I think you can see, as the, the choppers are picking up red team, blue team are dropping, getting yes. dropped off. I think there's maybe one establishing shot of that, right? Right. Yep. I mean, that's the interesting thing about this because both sides are actually working together. It's not like one side knows everything has and has yeah. an easy job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like an alarm. Someone's alarm goes off. Say we got to destroy that building, the top bit, because yes. the bo- the blue team's gonna blow up the bottom bit in a minute or the other way around. Because that scene was just cool. I was just gonna say, can we talk about that? Not enough people have talked about that building thing. That building thing was fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah. My, I, my I, wife got confused by that building bit. Like She was like, why I try not to think about that? that building. Yeah, I know. I try I to think like, about it. There's too much going on there because yeah. it, it blocks the cave entrance and the cave entrance is like my rosebud. I'll be dying on my fucking deathbed no, but going, like, blue team. <laughs> but like, but they said, yeah, because Ives and uh, JD said they have to distract so that nobody sees them go in, right? Yes. I guess. But also yes. the tunnel was blocked, right? No, was it was open. No. They, I thought yeah. the I thought when they arrived the inverted forces had blocked the tunnel, then they un they do the whatever the fuck they do with that building and that unblocks the tunnel and then they can go through. No, oh, they no. have to blow it up to go through. To create the distraction. It wasn't yeah. blocked because when they look over the ledge, it looks open. And he's like, we have to oh, go I now. Thought, I and thought then, it was blocked, but I've only seen it twice, so maybe I, he says, I thought it was blocked at that point. Because he says we have to go now, and then Ives goes, uh, it's all for naught if people see us. Yeah. And then he goes, I need a distraction. And I goes, I'm already on it. Hmm. And then they go to Why boom, is it boom, all boom. for naught if people see us? Because if, if Sator's inverted men see, see them, them, they can warn them. Yes, and, yeah. correct. <laughs> and there'll be someone inverted or not waiting for them in the cave or whatever. Yeah. So that was just Double Volkov inverted. that's hiding out, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But that's the time game because only the people who win can go back and tell themselves. <laughs> <laughs> only winners get to go back. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, that's what this movie needed. A line from Boca's journey. When Neil goes, yeah. sorry, Sator, you lose. You can't go back <laughs> in time anymore. Um, yeah, I mean, Volkov, when they were fighting in the cave, they should have Melvin fucking Volkov, and that would have solved everything. Um, uh, but to, ask you, to answer your earlier question, Ian, uh, the guy gets stuck in the wall because uh, he forgot to get out in time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he got caught in an... He got, it, it's the same as if you were standing beside a grenade when it went Correct. off. He got caught in an inverted explosion. And that, again, is something that I try not to think about too much because it haunts my dreams and nightmares. It's like you accidentally <laughs> got caught in a backwards... T- so he's... Is he... So does he just walk out from the other he's side? He's a normal. He, he was blue team, right? No, he gets sucked because he gets like... Bleh, into a wall. Yeah, but like... That's an inverted, inspl- that's an inverted explosion. But like he said... JD shouts at the girl who's part of... Is she part of Blue Team or Red Team? No, she's part of Blue Team. So Wheeler jumps out and the other guy gets stuck. Yeah, but Blue Team is going in verse time. So now his his corpse is trapped in that wall going backwards through time so that his corpse was always trapped in that wall. So that when they build that wall, his corpse is inside of it. No, it doesn't have to be, right? (laughs) Because you could actually just be at the wrong place at the wrong time and then get stuck in it. Oh yeah, no, but I'm saying his dead body is now stuck. His his, his dead body is going against the flow of entropy. Oh yes, this correct. This is the thing with dead bodies in this movie that kind of again also nightmare thoughts. His body's <laughs> going to be stuck inside that wall until it was built because his body is now traveling reverse against the flow of time. Correct. Yes. Um. So like some guy's going to be like just plastering and there's like ah body in there or something. <laughs> Oh, are they so going to build it around his skeleton, like knowing it's in there? Because they so, have to, because so JD the, owns the building, so I guess. So here's the other thing, right? Like, I that's sort of the thing that I try most not to think about. <laughs> so, like, okay, so, so I've got two examples for you. When uh, when Neil gets into the BMW with JD for the for the um, for the Estonian car chase. 
Yeah. The one with the with the with the with the great truck sequence. The plutonium the truck uh, the plutonium heist. The plutonium yeah, in Talon, yes. yeah. Yes. Is that car wind is the car mirror wing thing already broken? Okay, so it's already broken when he gets the BMW. Yeah. Was that window already broken when the BMW came off the truck? Uh came off Yeah. came the off mirror, the factory. The, the mirror, as the mirror well, no, that, that crack is now traveling backwards through time. Correct. So the closer it gets, it begins to heal itself. And you oh. see that and you see that when the Audi hits it from the side, it actually inverts so it becomes whole again. Yeah, but that's what, the, what, what Bahir is saying is that you're working forward in time, Uma. Yeah. If you're working back in time to when that car was assembled, the was crack that, was there at that point. Yeah. The crack was the crack the crack continues to travel backwards through time. No, it wouldn't be, because isn't it just like the, the wound in protagonist's arm as well? As you but get the closer, the crack itself. appears, and then it fixes itself. Yeah, but, but he was, but he was inverted at that point. Like the the the, the mirror is cracked because it has a, an interaction. The mirror it was cracked because it has an interaction with an inverted object. But that yeah, that crack is traveling back in time with the mirror, so it was made cracked. Like literally, the moment it was made, it cracked instantly because I guess causality. So how I read it was, it cracked as it got closer to the moment of it happening. So when they bought the car, it was fine. And then when it came closer to the point, it just went, and then. No, because the crack is the crack. It it is cracked by the inverted truck hitting it. Correct. So it's not like because like the, what, the, what, the, what's happening. What what's happening with JD in the, yeah. in the, the um, wound? In the wound thing is that he got inverted in normal time. So as he's moving through time, his wound is unhealing. Yes. Yes. Correct. Now the fact that he goes, he's ping ponging back and forth through time, despite Nolan's protestations, this is not a time travel movie. It's a fucking time travel movie. Um, <laughs> his ping ponging around it means that, like, it he has it, it, it unheals, he gets sore, he gets stabbed. It's basically from his perspective, it's been healed at that point. Yes. Yeah, that's fine because he's working in one direction, but also he's a human being who heals. Yes. yes, this is a piece of this is a piece of class tech that, like, working backwards through time. So the t- the moment that it got broken, right, it got hit by an inverted object, yeah. yep. and that's when it heals. Moving forward with our timeline, it was healed from that point onwards, right? right? Moving back, if the if the mirror was the protagonist of this movie, moving back along its own timeline. So this is this is the thing that helps me. If you invert the mirror at that point, right? Yeah. And it, and it continues back through time, it'll remain cracked. If you think about it, if you're working backwards through time, when Neil picked up the car, it was cracked. It the day cracked. before, yes. it was cracked. Yes. The day before that, it was cracked. For it to have a crack a few days in advance of that is weird and arbitrary and doesn't make sense because there's nothing to crack it. It yep. only cracks at the moment it was broken. Yep. So if you're coming from the future, it cracks from that point onwards and is cracked in your future, which is the past. I sound like a crazy person. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to finish that thought. Yeah. No, it makes so sense what you're that, saying and I understand it. I'm just like, why didn't anyone try to fix it? <laughs> Yeah, but that's my point. Exactly. Because it's already happened. Yeah. It's literally because it's as happened. that as that as that, I presume as the as the glass settled in the melting thingy, it, the crack was there. It settled into the shape of a crack. Mm. You know what I mean? Whether making it, whether we're making the mirror, the, the yeah. glass mirror. Yeah. I didn't realize the people at BMW were so slipshod and just went, "Can we just replace yeah. this?" <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, by that point, Tenet was there, and JD just came around and tapped someone on the shoulder as that specific piece of glass went by them on the quality control. Correct. Line. Yeah. <laughs> It's so, the it's the same as the it's the same as the Simpsons uh, joke with Lucy Lawless. It's like, well, whenever you don't understand anything or doesn't make sense, a wizard did it. <laughs> Magic. So I, the, the, I, I was reminded of that episode the other day where 
It's like a, a Lucy Lawless picks up Lisa and Barton flies off and she's like, Xena can't fly. It's like, well, I'm Lucy Lawless. I'm not Xena. <laughs> so there is that. There is, this is, yeah, those inverted moments, those inverted bullets, like after being unfired from the gun, those bullets are still working their way backwards through time. Yes. They will go into that drawer and uh, presumably, presumably Tenet has like, a Tenet might have a cleanup center. Like Damage these objects control. are dangerous. Like everyone's using gloves because of inverted radiation, which they never really, this just occurred to me. They never really address no, that. No, they don't. They never yeah. really talk about that. Um, no, but they assume it was inverted radiation. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. at some point, when maybe maybe that's what JD actually recruits uh, Neil for at the first point, it's to find somewhere to put their inverted storage center, so they can build a turn style in the distant past and then collect all the inverted items and just put them back them in there. Yeah. No, send them through, revert them, so then they're no longer, uh, you know, a radiation risk or anything else. But also, it's not spoken of, but we're assuming that that's how Sadar got cancer, right? Because he's been dealing with the shit his whole life. So he's been dealing with irradiated inverted objects his whole life. And even though it didn't well, go it's that, through but him... It's also, it's also the fact that, you know, his first big job was cleaning up a nuclear... Correct, that too. So yeah. he, like, he lived in a nuclear test town. That's, you know, you know we've all seen Chernobyl. That's, it kind of happens. Great yeah. on that. Yeah. 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 The other thing as well, sorry, is that at the first... When JD first goes to meet the scientist lady, yeah. he doesn't drop the bullet. So when he goes to pick it up, I think she says something like, "You you have to imagine have that you dropped it." Yeah. So and this is the thing. So what I was saying when you were saying about dropping stuff and things like that earlier, what uh, I wanted to correct you because what he's doing is he's undropping those bullets. Yes. yes. Yeah. But it's the act of undropping is a thing. He doesn't have to have dropped it yes. because yes. the bullet is inverted, and yeah. he, so that's where it comes out to the feeling element of it. Yep. So I guess Sator undrops the gold, and then he straight up just smacks the guy as opposed Beats to unsmacks him. Yep. Correct, but that, but that that scene I didn't get that scene the first time as well, where it's like they're digging up stuff and there's one of those cases. He's just using the same case. Are they really cheap in the future? And they just keep sending the same case backwards and forwards in time. I, like, I guess that's a re- maybe it's a really good case that just sort of save some time and money, man. I mean, Neil does say you know it's almost instantaneous as it happens, so just use the same box over and over again. Just like yeah. put stuff back inside and send it over. Yeah, yeah. Which I, mean, I think that's something I didn't get the first time, and it really it ties into what we should talk about the algorithm and the timing at the end as well, which is that they bury those boxes in nuclear sites because they know no one's going to go there. Safest places mm. no in the gonna, world, right? Yeah. No one's going to pay power to pave your drop spot and put up a parking lot. So you, that they, they know that there is a irradiated area in South 12. So they leave a box there and an inverted box there in the future. It comes back and he gets it. Why? Because he's always gotten it, but also that he's the right guy at the right time. And it's like, Kill this dude. Take the money. Build an empire. Yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch. Don't call us. We'll call you. Because the because in that case there was a document with his name on it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You could just make it. I'm, I'm sure when it comes out on DVD, we'll be able to read this, and it's a it's a whole lot of Laura Ipsum or something like that. But, <laughs> but it, yeah, they make Nolan makes very clear. You can see his name, and it's like, hello, we're from the future. We'd like to talk to you about loads of money. Yeah, we have an offer for you from the yeah. future. But they get. And I think that ties into, I think we, I have a section in our ex- ending explain stuff because what's going on with Kat and the algorithm. You did start talking about the algorithm. I get lost talking about this. <laughs> but it is a sculpture. It's not a bomb. And the bomb is always going to go off. Correct. And Seder's tracker, fitness tracker, is just like, it's going to send spam to email accounts that are going to survive into the future. Correct. Right? And it's just to let them know uh, where it's buried and that it's securely there. And then they will dig it up and trigger it. Yeah. yeah, reversing the flow of time, right? So, I mean, the idea behind the algorithm, as Priya explains it 
to the protagonist later in the film is that it was invented by a scientist in the future. And I just, I'm sorry, I just love that moment when Priya goes to protagonist, you know, the Manhattan Project, and he gives it this look like, you think I'm an idiot? <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> um, it's, it's like he, his job is securing nu- nuclear material for the CIA. I think he's read the I think he's read the brief. No, but it's the same but but I like that moment because it plays in contrast to when protagonist is talking to Seder and he's like it's radioactive. You know what that means? And he's like, I was born radioactive, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, don't lecture Actually, me. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're all so knowledgeable of this stuff. And then like when they're at dinner with Sador, that scene, he's just like, eh, uh, you like opera? <laughs> <laughs> oh, can, I, it's like, can I just say, before we go back to what Priya is explaining about the algorithm, that scene is fantastic just because protagonist is such a fucking asshole. I mean, he talks about not sleeping with his wife yet and then makes it a point to go and kiss her at the back of the neck before he leaves. Yeah. And I'm like, you little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, she, invite, she invites him for dinner. He seems to turn up in the middle of a course and then he leaves with, with just a kiss on the cheek. What an asshole. What, what a terrible dinner guest. Yeah. Well, you think he would have you know, had, a, had, a, had a little espresso uh, well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I think if once you've been threatened with a uh, bystander with his balls in his throat, I think you want to bounce out pretty fucking quick, lah. Pretty fast. That, that's quick. something that I keep forgetting about because I'm so concentrated on the time stuff. It's like it's a really horrible specific way. threat, dude. Yeah, <laughs> Very horrible specific. way to kill someone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and not only like, I got to take you to the field up the road, the specific field, yeah, not any field. A, this particular yeah, field. He says there's a there's a there's a covered field or a gated field. Gated field. Yeah. yeah. A gated yeah, garden like, or something. Oof. Yeah. Oof. Because he likes to watch people try to pull, pull their balls out of a hole in their neck while they slowly choke. <laughs> <to death. laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just. No, wow. I'm sorry, but Specific. I just love the way it's like, you know how satisfying it is to watch that. And I couldn't help but think of um, Shooter McGavin. You eat shit for breakfast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just thinking about it now, is this like some kind of obtuse uh, reference to his love for ballers? <laughs> Ooh. Good pickup. That is what we'll ask Christopher uh, Nolan if we ever get a chance to talk to him. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Skip. Let's skip. Sorry. Back sorry. To the, back, to back, to the, the, back to the future. Right. So Priya says there was a scientist in the future who uh, found out this in- algorithm to invert the flow of time, and of course, uh, unlike Oppenheimer, who decided, "Hey, let's just try this nuclear thing out and see what happens," she was like, "No, I'm going to make it into physical objects and distribute it all over the world into the past, so no one can ever find it and bring it together, and I'm going to kill myself." <laughs> Why did she build it? Why did she just kill herself? I think it was already there, right? Because she had already I think she found discovered it. Yeah. it. Ah, oh, she was she was working on an accident. But the idea is that it's a formula, right? Yes. So like, she destroyed all her notes and then created a sculpture. I mean, you just you know, can just imagine her like working away in her her shed with a welder. But it is like, hang on, if you just killed yourself, then it would have been fine, wouldn't it? It's, I mean, it makes sense in the movie, but now I'm thinking about it. Inverting them and sending them back through time is asking for trouble, because people can go after them. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, seen as she, seen as she'd already conquered time, she might as well have gone with space, created a black hole, and chucked it in there with herself. With and then it. Matthew McConaughey finds it. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's essentially the thing. Uh, the last part of which is that square bit that everyone's tangling with in the film. We see it at the KF Opera House. We see it at the Heist in Tallinn, and that's the last piece of the puzzle, the ninth piece that uh, the protagonist inadvertently gives to um, Sator. Uh, and then he finds out from Priya at that meeting that that's the plan all along because they needed to know what he was going to do with it, right? 
yeah. really stupid fucking way to figure things out. <laughs> Give the bad guy we exactly we, what we he know, wants. We know there's a nuke out there somewhere, but we're going to get this guy, this crazy lunatic to find it so we can kill him and take yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. You got to be real quick yeah. on the draw to make sure he doesn't set it off. And so that's that's essentially the MacGuffin in this film. Um, and th- I mean, that's a question that a lot of people have asked as in what is the algorithm and why does it matter? And I think that's pretty much it. It's not a bomb, as Ian was saying earlier. Um, and I know when you're watching the film, uh, you, can th- you, you think that's the bomb, but actually in the film, they c- keep pointing the camera at timers in the cavern. So we know exactly yeah. how long mm. we have left before the explosion. And that is the actual bomb. And actually, in this movie, J.D. Washington is the bomb. He is the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, because there is... She does kill him before they have the algorithm secured, right? Yes, she does. And yes. I, I mean, it seemed pretty clear to me, but I do... Have you had any questions about people wondering what's going on in the boat? Uh, no, not so much. The only question we had about what was going on in the boat was, oh, when Cat and Max come back to the boat and see the other cat jump off, what do they find on the boat and what does what happens to the other cat? And I'm just like, well, the other cat gets rid of the body because she drags it along with her. Careful. The other, the other cat is the one on the boat now, you're saying. Sorry, so sorry. Cat, cat is the one at the end of the movie. Scar- yeah. Let's, let's, <laughs> let, let's call her Scarred Cat. So yeah, scarred the cat. one who has okay. the scar uh, grabs Sador and is dragging him along with the boat and she is now going into the future. So she's waiting 10 days to catch up with Max because she can now have her peaceful life. Meanwhile, the cat yep. and Max that are returning to the boat after having a day off or half a day off in Vietnam will come back to an empty boat because Sador is still in Kiev and not back yet. And at the dinner with John David Washington early in the film, Cat says, oh, we returned to the boat to find that he had left. Because he had called them back, mm. and then they returned to the boat, and, he, and then she goes, I found that he had left, and I saw another woman dive off the boat. Oh, yeah, because it was Sador 2 that called her back, not, not Sador 1, because he was yeah, busy correct. in Sador Kiev. One. Yeah. So, actually, all of that's a really tight circle that's, 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 yeah. that's kind of yeah. complete. So, um, that's the only question we had about the ending on the boat. Um, as for the... But, like, she shoots him before... The algorithm's secure, though, Well, right? yes and no, because she shoots him, but they've already killed what's Volkov. What's... So, yes. essentially, they have it. They just haven't pulled it out of the explosion have they, yet. They have, killed, they, have killed, they have killed Volkov at that point. I thought, because she hadn't got the flare. No, they, they hadn't had the flare, but they killed Volkov, and then Mahir gets the call going, not yet, not yet, hold, hold. Because, because they, they haven't, haven't actually they haven't got it out yet. The hole yet, yeah. Oh, I thought it was because they hadn't yeah. actually got it in their possession. They were still fucking around with it in the, on the string at the box. Oh, no, I think they had it, and then they were on the ground, and then the yeah. rope drops in from Neil. Because, yeah, if they get buried with it in the nuke It's still there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the bad guys can still get it. So they needed to get it out of the hole. They needed it to be split up back into multiple pieces and buried wherever, where no one can find and then, it. Yeah. Is it inverted? It is inverted. It's already, or fuck, it could be inverted or non-inverted, depending Who on what's took going it on. Where? Because it was, it was, inver- it was inverted in the future to come back to our time, but now it's we don't it's know going forward in time in our local time space. Yeah, so yeah. No, I so mean, it has to. It's a it's a whole other project. It's a whole other po- podcast to talk about what the fuck Neil's up to that whole time. I mean, that's takes that's the Pepe Silva string diagram well i mean i think it's the pepe silver string diagram to figure out how he does it but we know exactly what he's doing yeah but it's just the fact that the bits we don't see like maybe Mm. maybe he maybe he fucks up three times trying to get back to the cave 
to like unlock it and he has to do it three more other times like there could be just like all of blue team is just neil <laughs> <laughs> i have a question i have a question when i don't know if you guys noticed or remember but when they but when uh, jd and um ives ives walk into the tunnel the first time they see the body behind the yes. gate right yeah that's neil was there another body there no no i don't think so but no, ives okay. gets like shot right I was just knocked he down, gets knocked I think. out. That whole yeah. thing was, yeah, because that whole thing, that, I mean, again, maybe they should have built a bigger cave because that whole sequence is confusing, was, I think. Yeah. Because you can't see, yeah. I, Ives is knocked down. I was the second time I had all eyes on Neil because he gets up, he, mm. he inverts from being shot, gets, uh, and he just stands politely behind the gate yes. for like. Unlocks the then, door. Yes, he's holding the gate. I saw <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. I saw that. He's holding the gate, waiting for Ives to walk through so he can walk back out. Yeah. And then yeah. goes up in reverse, correct. Yeah, but he goes yes. up in reverse. It looks like reverse to us, but actually he's going backwards he's, through time. Yes. So he will he yep. will exit. He will unenter the cave before JD and I have set off the trip. Correct. Blocking it. Correct. That's that yes. was the one that really had trouble getting my head around. I think even though we don't see it, what we do see is we see him notice Volkov unplant the bomb and get back onto the helicopter. And yeah, he knows the trip. He puts the trip wire down. So that's yeah. like he knows. Volkov's with the normal flow of time. And I assume that that is the point at which Neil decides to go in. He sees that, and because time grows forever... Correct. Forever. Um, he... i got to come up with a gang sign for that. He decides to go find their turnstile, and then he sees himself... So first of all, he goes looking for the turnstile, and this is a, looking through the trailer, I saw this. He's out, He runs out into that kind of thing above the hippo center. Yes. Hippo center? Hypno mm-hmm. center. Hippo center. And as you see him looking around for where the turnstile bad guys are coming from... In the background, you can see an inverted Neil running backwards. Yes, you can. Running on, yep. he's unrunning away from the truck. Yep. Which is awesome. And then he goes in. When he goes down into the cave, you see himself coming out of the turnstile through the proving window. Yes. Yes. So he goes in and then goes back and then gets to the car and then drops the rope and. Nice. Yes. But we still don't know the we don't know the Neil route to go in to unlock the door. Yeah, I mean he. Yeah, I presume he comes in the entrance somehow. After, he comes into the entrance after being inverted some at the, at the but even though we don't see it all of that's kind of very clearly explained within that conversation at the end right so uh yeah. ives goes did you pick that lock and john david washington goes no i thought it was you and then when neil goes um hold up i need to come with you um and then ives goes i don't see anyone else who can pick that lock right and yeah. um mm. and so all of that stuff's kind of explained and then the final conversation between jd and neil and robert pattinson uh, which kind of cements the uh, time bros forever, uh, where they're like, uh, "Isn't it clear you're the one who recruited me?" Um, yeah, dumbass. I'm, I'm part of this pincer <laughs> movement, and he's like, "Who's yours? This whole fucking movie's yeah. a pincer movement." Yeah. yeah. Nice little Casablanca throw. Oh yeah, yeah, there. yeah. This is the end of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. I love that. I thought that was cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, is it the end? Is it, is it for you? It's yeah. The end for you, of, it's uh, the end of the beautiful of, of, friendship. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's the beginning. Yeah. For you, it's, yeah. for me, it's the end. For you, it's the beginning. Yeah, yeah. That whole scene is just... We were talking more about the mechanics of the film, but that whole scene is just so cool. I mean, I, I screen grabbed it from the trailer of just J.D. Washington standing with that chopper taking off behind him in his, ca- in, his, in his camo gear. It just looks so cool. Neil is just like... Robert Pattinson has never been lit so well in his life. It's, and that's <laughs> that's amazing considering he literally played a sparkly vampire. Like he just... The, the, yeah. it's, it's all shot like it looks at like Magic Hour. Yeah. The sun behind... The, yeah. the sun is behind both of them. <laughs> 
yeah. lining them up. And it's just like this beautiful moment of like, you've got a future in the past. Of just yeah. such a, it's without over explaining things. It lets you know exactly what needs to be done. Uh, the only other major question we haven't addressed, uh, which is probably because we don't think it is an issue, but a lot of people, I just get WhatsApp messages with no hello, no hi, nothing, just going, is Neil Cat's son? It only just occurred to me when we're talking about it. Could Ives be Cat's son? No, don't don't confuse the issue no. even more, Ian McNally. <laughs> don't what do the that. Fuck? Don't do that. Cat's son is Max. Neil is Neil. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess the the reason we feel strongly about this is because everything else in the movie is so beautifully signposted. Um, yeah. And Nolan makes it a point to not do any moments of Deus Ex Machina or drop any kind of shit that was unexpected, right? Um, everything yeah. is 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 there for you to pick up and when you watch it second and third time you keep noticing things and going ah it's right there yeah because the, the first time i didn't get that it was neil at the opera house that said i missed that as well neil. Yeah. i missed that completely mm. you saw that right by here you, you spotted the, yeah, the, coin. the backpack you're like the coin yeah ah, that coin means something methinks yeah it's too obvious it's such a cinematic thing i hate it so much <laughs> <laughs> you know when they do a close-up on something right at the beginning of a movie and you go oh this is going to come back I'm yeah like, I but, hate but, you. it's like that walking yeah. dead video game but here we'll remember this yeah <laughs> but also but also it's reverse foreshadowing yeah. right because you, neil sees the coin twice and still sorry jd sees the coin twice and still doesn't know that it's neil until the very yeah. end when he yes. sees it for the third time until the very which is kind of cool yeah again i think the only way and i have obviously twice the only way that it could make sense is that like you know those those coins with holes in them they're generally called cash coins and there are vietnamese cash coins as well i generally when i see them i think of uh chinese, China, chinese yeah ones um, yeah. but they are they're also in Greece I think at some point but I think it was too late it's not the wrong it doesn't look the same I, I looked it up it doesn't look the same as the Greek uh, cash coins the whole coins so it would be if it was a case then he would have to have picked it up on the 14th when he was a kid when they were off the coast of Vietnam and I don't know where they went that day um, mm. so that it, because that would be symmetry and like so then ideally at the end of the movie when Cat's with Max at the end he has to have that if that's the case if if that neil equals max then he has to have the bag the coin on a string on his bag at the end of that yes at one point yeah. looking i went I was looking through the trailers at one point i thought it was on cat's bag but no it's just a birkin and it has that little kind of thing dangly thing it has that dangly yeah. thing i was like yeah enhance enhance computer <laughs> and i think if that was the case nolan would have pointed it out in some way or other yeah and i mean like i said it would have to be that last scene because that's after well and he's any scene with Max that takes place after the 14th, he could have it. So I guess you have to go see it again, Uma. Thanks. <laughs> time number five. No, but I mean, in, in all the times we've seen it, I think Bai has seen it three times now. You've seen it twice. I've seen it, three, I've seen yeah. it four times. There's such little interaction with Max. Yeah. Yeah. In that sense. So there's at no point when the camera could have zoomed into Max holding a coin yeah. <laughs> or even picking up a coin and winking at the or camera. Or spinning a coin and then it doesn't fall at the end. Correct, correct. <laughs> well, I mean, it could, you know, it, could be, it could be he grows up in the future and he's like, you know, bro, tenet, tenet bro, saved my life. That's why I enlisted. No, but it's, it's such an inelegant thing to do, right? For such yeah. an elegant movie with all the stories all tied up to suddenly say, to, to, for it to even be true, we're not saying it is, um, and and if you do see it that way, I mean, I'm scrolling through the tenant Reddit subreddit. Of course you and are, and there's a few people saying like, "Oh, is Max Neil?" And I'm like, "You 
I guess if you wanted to, you could, but it's such an inelegant thing for Nolan to do. It's a narrative bridge too far. Yes. And also in a lesser film, I could see that happening. And I could see a director or, you know, J.K. Rowling going, Dumbledore was gay all along. Um, Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan. It's not in the film. And this is actually, you have to base it on the text. And everything in the film is so elegantly put together that this just feels a little bit too much outside of the text. One last thing before we go, something we discovered on 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 Wikipedia, uh, the Sator Square. Oh God, I, yeah, I meant to bring that up when you. I didn't get just to read it, but just looking at it made me hurt. Yeah, so the the Sator Square is essentially this kind of word square that contains a five word Latin palindrome, and the five words are Sator, Arepo, Tenet, Opera, and Rotus. Uh, all of them obviously feature in the film as either names of characters or organizations, right? So Tenet yeah. and Rotus are names of organizations. The opera, obviously, is where everything happened. Arepo is the guy who sold the Goya, who forged the Goya, and Sator being the bad guy. I mean, um, clearly, Nolan has taken inspiration from this. I mean, it doesn't do anything to actually explain the film. No, but he's just mm. fucking showing off. He is showing... Exactly, yes. that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Is, yeah, it is yeah. Nolan going, like, look at me, I'm so clever, motherfuckers. Also, what, <laughs> does, what does Sator and Arepo mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is pretty cool. So the translations of which... So Sator uh, is, means to sow. So he is the sower, planter, founder, progenitor, um, and also usually divine which kind of works out to Kenneth Branagh's whole or a god at the end of the film. Um, Arepo, um, apparently it is uh, likely an invented phrase um, of Egyptian origin um, and it is likely a proper name, but that's as much as they know about it. Um, Tenet, of course, the person who kind of keeps, holds, preserves, sustains, thus their whole mission. Uh, Opera is kind of, well, opera. Um, it can also mean uh, labor or service. And uh, rotus, of course, to rotate turnstiles. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it is in keeping with it. I mean, a repo is just a nonsense word that's not really explained that well in the movie. Exactly. <laughs> right? His character is kind of like, oh, he's over here. But like, it's not a palindrome if it doesn't mean anything when it's backwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're writing a script, you can always give wo- random words meanings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way, there's a there's a there's a segment in Wikipedia. If you look up Sator Square, um, that will just mess with you even more. There are all the Christian associations, so I think that will add layers to the film. But yeah, I'm not gonna get that. Go read it yourself. Yeah, cause 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 it's like a whole. You can put it into a cross which reads, Pater Noster, Our Father, and it goes into a whole thing. So yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> but Sator Square is a thing that um, clearly uh, Nolan drew inspiration from. So yeah, there are plenty of layers in this film. The one thing. I'm looking forward to if it's coming out is the eventual Kip Thorne book about how reverse entropy works. Mm. The science of Tenet. Yeah, he wrote uh, The Science of Interstellar, which is a really good read. Um, That's one thing I'm looking forward to. And I know I'll never get my hands on this, but I would love to see the shooting script of this movie. I just want to know how they fucking planned all of those things. Like the, the, the person who... The person who was keeping production notes as to what was happening when. Oh, the script supervisor. Yeah. The script supervisor. Mental- Christ. I think they need like a team. Yeah. You know, because like, because it's the kind of thing where, because you're right, shooting scripts important because when you're putting it together, there's some shots which is you, which will be used for 
when the when the film's going forward and some shots for when the film's going inverted. So you yeah. have to sort of like it almost feels like you you have to you know, today we're shooting inverted scenes only. So this film stock goes into the inverted scene box. It's it's mental, yeah. Yeah, I mean it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're watching the same scenes again when the protagonist no. is fighting himself. Yeah, and I don't know whether that's like maybe I w- maybe that's I wonder if they I have to watch it again now, damn it. Um <laughs> if they've done a digital you know, like a digital push in or move the camera move the digitally move the frame to the left or oh, right slightly so that it feels different because yeah. When you see something that's the exact same, your brain tends to register it, right? Yep. Yeah. So it never felt that way. So I, I don't. Yeah. So the question they is, they, they couldn't have shot that scene twice from the different angles depending Ooh, on the time. I don't they know. Couldn't. They might have. You know, they might have. Because especially I mean, given w- how little CG he claims to have used. Yeah. Because like there was that there was that behind the scenes footage on YouTube that said they they learned basically they had to figure out how to fight in reverse. Yeah, because I think what it looks like is that they 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 skip back and forth between when they're shooting, considering one fighter as one protagonist as forward motion. Yeah, within the within the first like, within the first fight, which might just be the cut and paste of the second fight. You know, it looks like sometimes that uh, JD in his suit is moving backwards, whereas backwards, other yeah. times do they? But it's all in the one thing, so. Again, just there's no words. To say. Yeah, trying to it, the shooting script again. I was thinking like, well, once they figured everything out, just shooting it would have been a, a straightforward thing. But I guess like I'm having trouble describing what that is. So trying to just again, Chris Nolan, get with it. Chris Nolan was cinematographer and stunt crew, trying to explain to them. Let me, let me, let me, let me talk to you like you're a four year old, okay? And and you're trying to describe this after having seen the movie. Trying you yes. had to try and describe it when you when there's no such thing exists. Yeah, Warner Brothers is just like. Okay, Chris, just give up. We don't get it. Here's just take the fucking money. Just leave us alone. Yeah. Yeah. You're giving us a headache. What was it? Two fifty? I'll give you three hundred. Please go away. Yeah. Three hundred if you never talk to me until it comes out and I get to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so for for years, Chris Nolan is just wandering the halls of Warner Brothers with a flip chart and a boombox. Like, can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> I'd like to explain this movie to you. Oh, and the flip chart doesn't have a back on it. It just keeps going like a just Rolodex. Keeps flipping. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, that was the that was the pitch he made to the editor to Jennifer Lim. She he was just like, "This is going to be the hardest movie you will ever have to edit in your life." Oh shit! Yeah. Uh, George Miller goes to his editor and says, "Like, I've got like sixty years of film," and Chris Nolan's like, "Hold my beer." <laughs> <laughs> Keep those questions coming in and let us know. I mean, we have our Tenet spoiler ending explained article up on the site. So you can look at that first. And if we still haven't answered any of your questions, you can reach out on Goggler MY. You can reach out on our hotline, which is still active at 017-218-1795. You can drop us an iMessage or a WhatsApp. Uh, that's what we're on. And we've got quite a few, actually. I think uh, at my last count, there were about 30 people who had messaged in with uh, a bunch of questions and required um, that required explanations. Um, I think we've had a lot of satisfied customers. Keep those questions coming in. If you've discovered stuff about the film that we haven't covered or that we have completely missed, do let us know because that's what you know we're all about and really excited to find out. And also, if you've got unique explanations as to why you believe Neil might be Max's son, because when people have asked me that question. And I've asked them, why do you think that? 
the answers that have come back was because they've read it on the internet. So mm. um, if you do have a theory... Don't trust any everything you see on the internet. Yes, yeah, says the Reddit master himself. Shut <laughs> um, up. <laughs> um, so if you do have a theory as to why Neil might be Max, do let us know. That brings us to the end of the Tenet spoiler cast. This has been a long one. Uh, but thank you so much for listening and um, yeah, keep 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 your questions coming in. This is Goggler Presents signing out. We live in a twilight world. And there are no friends at dusk. I love that line as well. What is that, Whitman? <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. It was like, ha, Sidor, you think you're so fucking smart. <laughs> I'm not no, falling for like- your trap. But like, what does Sador think he's gonna do? Is like, it, 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 he's gonna, he's going to just like automatically <laughs> ah, say gotcha. it. Because, yeah, exactly. No, but it's like, what is it? He thinks it's like a, some some sixties movie spycraft magic Correct. term that he has Correct. to say it back. Yeah. <laughs> Are uh, we still on the podcast? Which I'm still recording. I don't know about you. Kind of, you keep going. It keeps going on. T- you're still on on track. I'm still recording.